Hello everyone and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia Farm Team. If you've ever wondered about adding a beef component to your breeding program, this podcast is well worth a listen. With beef prices currently riding high and ongoing community concerns over non-replacement dairy calves, breeding calves for beef is an increasingly attractive option for many dairy farmers. In this episode of Dairy Pod, Dairy Australia's Sarah Bolton talks to Charles Sturt University researcher Michael Campbell on the pros and cons of adding dairy beef to your system, how overseas markets view dairy beef products and how the domestic market is also growing. Sarah is an Uffield Scholar and Vet who works in the Animal Health and Welfare team at Dairy Australia, while Michael has been researching strategies for non-replacement male dairy calves for beef production. We recorded this podcast in the pre-COVID lockdown days at the Dairy SA conference at the Barossa Valley back in March. But like the wine produced from that area, the subject matter has only got better with age. So Michael, we've spoken quite a bit today at the Dairy SA Central Conference about the opportunities that are there for dairy producers to start maximising the revenue that they extract from uh, the cars that they breed from their dairy herd that aren't going to go on to become future replacements. Do you want to give us a bit of an insight into your perspective on those opportunities? Yeah, today uh, I really tried to focus the talk on uh, getting the farmers to think outside the, the normal uh, square that they're in, in terms of thinking about bobby carbs and and non-replacement calves and how it can actually be a premium product for consumers. Uh, when we talk in the meat industry, we're, we're, we're very heavy on consumer eating experience. And, I, and it would be the same in the milk industry. Think about that, that amazing cheese that you've eaten. And it's all about that brand and that experience eating that cheese. And I think we need to start thinking about the, the, the calves coming out of dairy um, herds as that premium product. Yeah, because yeah. we traditionally have, have really looked at those calves and perceived them to be a relatively low value and, and low uh, economic opportunity in terms of rearing those calves through to rosé veal or dairy beef. What is the opportunity with dairy-bred animals when it comes to communicating that value? Well, I think um, the, the key thing here is that we're, we're looking to hit a market spec out the other end, so market specification that's suited to those consumers. So while we did process Bobby Carves' veal and even the rosé veal, it was, it was a niche market and the, the Bobby veal is a uh, low value market with a huge amount of cost up front in that animal. Um, so we talk in the, the hundreds of dollars of, of cost in raising a calf, isn't it? You know, you, you do it yourself. Raising calves, it's two, three, four, five hundred dollars in that first hundred kilos. If we can grow these animals out later uh, to, to heavier weights that, that actually meet a, a traditional market specica- specification in the meat industry, a, a 260 kilo to 320 kilo carcass, um, we can then target these consumers with a premium product because we know it eats well. We, we Around the world we've seen some pretty good results out of um, meat quality studies so we know it's going to eat as well or better than beef. Um, we put a brand around that. I mean there's huge value for the dairy farmers and, and they, they just need to grab it. And you mentioned that dairy beef can actually eat as well or better than conventional beef. Is that in all cases or how do we actually start maximising that opportunity to, to get good quality beef out of these animals? Yeah, well I think um, there's, there's absolutely no doubt any animal that's fed for a long period of time will eat well. Um, and so I think sometimes in the studies, when you look at some of these studies, uh, it, they have issues where a dairy animal might have been purchased and then put into a finishing program in a feedlot. And that's probably one of our biggest issues in the country. I, I think I don't what do you think about the the fact that we, we're discounting these animals based on the the risk around having not knowing how they're going to perform later on in life? Um, 
Yeah, I think that one of the big challenges at the moment from my perspective is the fact that we're, we're trying to make decision around these animals at mating decision or mating planning stage and we're yeah. trying to forecast through to a point which could be another you know two and a half years or so down the track um, and trying to deal with pr commodity price fluctuations um, and you know different cost of inputs and different cost of um, outputs and, and the return that we're getting on those animals from an early stage. So there's a huge amount of risk built into the decision of deciding to actually try and target some of these markets. But you mentioned a few ideas for, um, I guess, trying to minimise some of those risks. Yeah, and I think that's where it comes into this eating quality side of things. So we, we price in risk because we don't know how they're going to perform later on. So a calf that gets through the sale through the sale yard, they're often not well looked after because we're not paying much for them at the sale yard. It's this vicious circle where they get discounted at the sale yard so the farmer won't put any money into them up front. And we need them. We're setting them up in that first 24 hours um, to perform for life. And I mean, there's plenty of data around around the, the milking cows, isn't there, around um, colostrum, the first 24, 48 hours and the impact it has on lifetime milk production. Well, we, the same effects happen in, in beef production. So if they don't get it right up there, then we can't pay the premium and we can't then end up with a high eating quality product out the other end. We can put a lot of money into it and we'll end up with the weight in the animal, but we just won't end up with that same eating quality. And Look, we see it in, in Wagyu cattle. Um, if we do anything in that um, supply chain or that, that growth path of that animal that has a negative effect on their growth path, then we just don't get the marbling results. And, and that's a big issue in the, in the beef industry at the moment. Um, so, so the same will apply in this dairy beef industry. So when it comes to trying to extract maximum value from these calves based on quality at the end of the value chain, uh, there's a great project that's underway at Charles Sturt University at the moment that you're a part of, uh, that Dairy Australia has invested in along with Meat and Livestock Australia. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and what the, what the anticipated outcomes are going to be from that and how that's going to help us in this space? Yeah, I think that the, the project is, is, um, is one of a kind in that we've got multiple RDCs and we've got private investors. So what attracted uh, Dairy Australia and MLA to it was we had um, private meat companies who wanted to innovate in this space. They wanted to look at how we can take a, a undervalued product and they could utilise it in their, their current meat businesses. Um, so working with uh, Dr Ian Lane and Dr Rod Polgenhorn and um, MLA team, we're, we're looking at how growth paths affect the, the final product quality in, a, in an animal. So uh, we've got we've got multiple breeds, we've got Jerseys and Jersey Holstein cross cattle um, and different growth paths. So they're on an average growth path and a high growth path and then um, both been feedlot finished and then we've got one that's on grass the whole time. We're looking at a unique diet around an intensively fed um, diet from overseas and, and we call it the Spanish diet um, because that link comes from Spain, the, the people we're working with. Um, and all of that is, is focused on then saying, well, if we can prove that we can get a high quality product, then the, 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 that's our key innovation in this space, I suppose. That we can get this high quality product that the uh, beef producers, beef processors, I should say, are going to value that because they can market that. And then we can start seeing flow back through the chain with value payments back to farmers. And so what I, I can kind of see it happening, and I know we've already got programs in, around raising calves and so forth, but I can almost see like a, a certified dairy beef calf program where, where people will be willing to pay as long as you tick the boxes and you can be audited on that you certain amounts of colostrum and growth rates and health checks and everything else that goes with it. And um, I think that'll allow us to 
pay premiums. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's there's certainly something around that incentivising best practice early on in the value chain with the confidence that at the end we can actually reap the rewards from that investment early on because that's yeah. probably one of the biggest roadblocks for people at the moment. Yeah, isn't it? It's just a um, it, it's a, a massive roadblock because why would you put any money into to an animal that you have no outlet for? And we even just some farmers today at this uh, conference have spoken to me after the talk, and they're very enthusiastic about it. Actually, I had a lot of farmers saying we can do this, and we've tried this, and um, some, almost every farmer kills their own beef from their dairy herd. The most amazing beef they've ever had. They keep telling me, um, but some of the guys are saying, if I put all this money in, uh, and I don't have an outlet, why, why would I? Because just the, the economics don't stack up if we put all the money up front and then we get a massive discount on a young calf in the sale yard. So we need to change that. Otherwise, it'll be a roadblock, won't it? It'll be. Yeah, yeah and I think there's, there's quite a cultural aspect when it comes to the perceptions of the value of these animals because um, my understanding of the early outcomes of your research is that, um, and combined with other uh, studies that have been done, that the quality really is there in these animals. And yet, despite that, we're still seeing these animals suffering pretty severe discounts at the processing end. Yeah. Um, how can we get beyond that and is, is it a matter of just compiling the data or is there a real sort of conversation and attitude shift that has to happen there as well? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think you're correct about the attitude shift. I think it's ingrained in, in our cattle buyers, in our meat processors, that they're an animal that they can discount. And I think what, probably without being too harsh, they've been able to make really good money out of these animals by discounting them. Because you discount them, they get all this beef, low quality if it, if it is, and they can put it through the grinding beef market or what we call the, the chemical 90 CL, 90 chemical lean market, into hamburgers. And so they can make good money. So they've got profitable supply chains at their end now. But that, that's because they're buying the calves at discounted rates up front. Um, so I think we, we need to get a, a mindset shift. Whenever we talk to overseas, people overseas, and you've been overseas on your Nuffield, they can't believe that we don't use our animals from dairy herds here in Australia for meat. Um, it's just, it's kind of this, this concept we've never had to worry about before. Yeah. Um, and I, we've, we're kind of privileged in that way, so we're, we're very lucky, yeah. I think it really is an, an attitude, um, a product of general attitudes and, and cultural sort of attitudes as well, in that one of the, the most notable um, points that I found was that in travelling overseas, if a particular country was not self-sufficient in beef, they almost invariably were extracting maximum value from the beef coming out of their dairy herds. Whereas yeah. we in Australia have had this fairly luxurious position in that we export a huge amount or a very large percentage of the beef that we produce. Yeah. And we've never really had to actually look to the dairy herd to say, well, perhaps there's something that we could be extracting value from here. Yeah. And I think based on that, you know, there's never been a better time than the present to be actually looking to the dairy herd for quality beef and to be extracting value from it based on what the cattle market or what the beef market is actually doing. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing from my perspective is that this is something that needs to be um, a viable pathway for these animals, not just now while beef prices are good, but certainly into the future as well. When it comes to making decisions around how we approach these you know, dairy beef pathways, how can we make decisions that are going to be uh, more likely to be profitable now and in the long term? And, and where does someone start if they're looking to change the way they manage their non-replacements? Yeah, I, with the non-replacements, I think the key here is if, if they do a good job on them, they need to extract the value out. Now, I'm not pretending they're going to be able to do that straight away. They go home tomorrow, start feeding their calves better and extract the value out. But I think what they can do with that is, is go home and feed them better tomorrow and they might be able to at least break even with this first lot of cattle 
that's where we're getting to. So um, beef prices have shifted so much that even the, with the discount for the dairy animals, we are still looking at that around that 100 kilo mark of people paying $4 for dairy calves, $3.50 for dairy calves, whereas in the past they weren't paying that at all, um, not that long ago. So. I think this is the time to do it. This is the, 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 the optimum time to kick it off because if we can then get trust in that supply chain that these calves are going to perform and the reason these calves performed is because they were raised properly up front, then that will become more sustainable longer term. What's happened in the past, and we've seen it recently with the, with the beef processor, um, in another state that um, was fe were feeding Holstein calves, um, purchasing them out of the sale yards and getting really variable results. So they purchased them cheap, fed them, and they were, they were trying to get them to um, grade MSA, get marble score three, and get them into China. They've stopped feeding them because of the variability. But that's really, I think that comes back to purchasing them sight unseen out of the sale yards with no history on them. So, so if we could fix that problem, they'll have more trust, and I think the supply chains will look after themselves then I think extracting the true value is that branded product. Yeah. And I, I wonder, maybe dairy factories take it on. Dairy factories are in this position now where they're liquidating assets and they're, uh, they're in the food game. And that's the game the beef is in too, yeah. Yeah, and I guess one thing that's jumping out at me there really is the fact that there are no quick and easy solutions um, and that being successful in this space really does require smart investments early on as well and that it can be high risk and one thing that's really stayed at the front of my mind is that uh, alongside nutrition which you've mentioned a lot the combined use of uh, sex semen and, and beef over dairy crossbreeding has got a real role to play in this space however there's very few dairy producers out there that haven't at some point dabbled in the areas of one or the other of sex semen or putting a beef bull out with the herd um, and there's probably equally uh, not as many people that haven't had some sort of issue that they've experienced through that process whether it's uh, poor conception rates as a result of sex semen uh, particularly in the past or increased issues with uh, calving ease from using beef bulls over the dairy herd and then I guess on top of that I've personally spoken to a lot of people who um, you know similar to myself have uh, invested in systems where they are putting a lot of money into rearing calves and trying to do it well but actually running at a loss as a result of doing that so yeah. I think that's something to be bearing in mind at the moment is that whilst this is something that we have a lot of motivation to be addressing and have a lot of opportunity that we need to be really mindful of the risks going into it as well. Uh, uh, definitely and I don't think um, there'd be anyone out there uh, who's uh, going to go tell a farmer to, to go and invest a lot of money in capital or um, go and feed a lot of calves, go and purchase calves from a neighbour to feed with on a whim. Um, now's the time because in terms of starting out because of where the beef price is sitting and so forth. But I think we've got to remember that the things have innovated. The, the sex semen we saw today in the, the talk from um, uh, from Sarah uh, around where sex semen's got to, um, the developments there. So if we've tried it in the past, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to work today. Um, using beef over dairy, I mentioned um, over in the USA they've got some indexes around for bulls that are um, suitable to go over Holstein cattle um, to complement them to, to produce a better carcass. Uh, so sort of we, we need to um, revisit these things on a regular basis and you know in the past this and dairy farmers will tell you themselves that they've gone and bought a, a bull any beef bull um, that, that they can find or they like the breed of without worrying too much about birth weights and any EBVs at all because it's a beef bull and um, and that's probably where they come unstuck a little bit uh, and so, so I think they need to just maybe think about well 
why did it not work in the past? It doesn't mean it's not going to work today. Yeah. yeah. And now's a chance to do it, I suppose, at a, a reasonably lower risk because we've got high beef prices. Yeah, and yeah. certainly making informed decisions in that space as well. And, and thankfully, you know, thanks to um, you know, innovative studies such as the one at CSU, we're starting to compile more and more information in this space that we're really at the point of um, being able to hone in on, well, how do we actually get this done? How do we maximise this opportunity? And how do we realise the value from these carbs? based on the knowledge that we have collectively collated and I think a lot of that's going to come back to um, you know using that key driver that's behind us all which is that maintenance of public trust and the image that we put forward in terms of how we manage every calf that's born on the farm um, but also utilizing this opportunity where more and more people are wanting to talk about this more and more people are engaging with this space and using that as an opportunity to start building relationships in that value chain so that we can start linking things up and reducing risk yeah yeah, definitely. And I think there's also opportunities for the, the farmers. So while we're saying farmers raise their calves, there could be opportunities for farmers to work together. And it might be that, that chance that they can employ a son or a daughter who wants to come back on the farm by raising two or three neighbours' calves. So then they've got a, another business, a bit of scale, that allows them to employ someone else. And they might be that verge where they might have 1.7 employees or something like that. And, and this little business opportunity might allow them to tick over that full two FTE sort of thing so they can have that next employee. Yeah, um, and those of, sorts of things are options for them. Yeah, yeah and one of I guess the priorities for the dairy industry at the moment is encouraging the next generation of producers to get involved with the industry and um, notwithstanding the investment in sort of infrastructure with which to rear calves these sort of potentially even vertically integrated models could provide a really good opportunity for young people to start getting involved in the industry as well. Definitely absolutely and especially if they've got a little bit of a bent on, um, on some sort of different innovations within the, the dairy business themselves so while they understand that milk's a core part of, of dairy they might be interested in a range of other things and we see it with genetics and we see it now with you know the dairy beef side of things and it may be a bit around technology and so it allows them to explore those options I suppose so um, and, and I don't think anyone should take, go away thinking that we, they have to do everything themselves Exactly. And I think that's what some people often come back to me, oh, but I don't have the time. And we've seen that in some of the survey work we've done, don't have the time, we don't have the infrastructure. Well, what we're suggesting is we, as an industry, we need to promote the fact that we can get this quality product, this premium product out there, um, which means that we, we get away from this commodity-based pricing. So once we get a premium product, you're not commodity-based. It's selling handbags um, instead, instead of selling commodity leather. Um, and so that's where we need to be. And... The, so that these guys, um, they don't have to do it all themselves, but uh, getting that value allows someone else to do the work for them. So they don't have to feel guilty about not raising their calves. They can get, send their calves somewhere else. There's yeah. No about it. And there's, there's a bit of a risk mitigation and sort of diversification argument to be made there as well, even that if we're, if we're extracting value from these calves, whether we're rearing them ourselves or, or whether there are relationships set up um, for other people to get involved in that process, um, you know, in the face of uh, milk price volatility and, and um, climate risk, etc., having that alternative farm income could, you know, certainly nothing short of an opportunity at the moment as yeah. well. Yeah, oh, my word. And you think about, um, so the, the dairy farm monitor a report showed um, uh, slaughter stock sales in northern Victoria sits around, it would be lucky to be 10% of the income on, on farms, so that's that's cows and, and calves. Um, if we can shift that to a, a 20 to 30% 
of, of someone's income, then we are de-risking that business a bit. And you're playing in a in a beef game, and hopefully you're playing in a premium product game, which is a guaranteed pricing type of game. Um, and obviously there's fluctuations in demand for premium products, but it, it's a it's a different world to commodity prices. And then it's and it's different from milk. Um, it does use similar sorts of resources, but it's also a, a different set of resources as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I think we're already quite good at doing that as far as export heifers are concerned. You know, we've, Definitely, we've, yeah. um, we've very much identified that as an opportunity for um, income diversification and risk mitigation as well. But I yeah. think, um, you know, the, the male calf side of things or that, you know, umbrella that encompasses all our non-replacement calves, so all calves that aren't going to have cups put on in our dairy, um, yep. that's the, really the next step is being able to extract the value. Yeah. yeah. And the export dairy job was, export dairy heifer job was um, one where there was so much upside to it. You know, big values, big prices being paid. So if we could do the same for the, the dairy uh, beef, which I can, we're not going to be at the same level, but then it'd be an easy sell. I think what we're talking about here is that there'll be good margins in it, but it won't be the same as those export heifers. But the concept's the same. All of a sudden, different income streams. And it's like having someone working off farm. Um, you think about it as a whole package about how you what what risk is there to income coming into your business. And if it's just focused on milk, it's an enormous single market risk and especially if it's commodity milk yeah yeah i think the other big risk for me as well at the moment is that um the export heifer trade at the moment is providing a uh, really important pathway for a number of calves that aren't going to be replacements on our farm um, but being able to uh, recognize the importance of having pathways for the other calves as well based on the fact that we're actually starting to see movement internationally of um, often the marketplace disincentivizing uh, humane at birth euthanasia um, not necessarily the the bobby calf supply chain uh, because it it doesn't happen frequently in those countries but I think for me um, one of the the key things to be focusing on at the moment is that if we end up in a situation where we are having to rear these calves through to dairy beef and yet we still haven't managed to extract that value successfully that we could actually end up in a much worse position than what we are currently now so now is the perfect opportunity to be getting it right um, and working on that proactively so that if we do end up in a situation where we are being incentivized or to direct calves down those pathways or even disincentivized to direct calves <laughs> down other pathways um, that we're already prepared for that as well definitely uh, without a doubt I think um, the worst thing ha can happen and it happened recently with, with Bush fires an, an immediate impact um, you said with live export of, of beef cattle immediate impact no one's ready for it and it, it really shocks businesses um, shocks people the whole bit um, what we can do here now is actually develop pathways develop the technologies the, the innovation that sits behind it to ensure that this the pathways are sustainable we've got a great product a great brand out there before we have to because we know it's going to come it's a bit like the other issues animal, other animal industries have found um, and, and so we know it's going to come it's, I was going to talk, you know, you talk about musing or you talk about um, other welfare-related um, demands from consumers, yeah? So it'll come. Uh, we, we, we better better off being well prepared, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and for me it's really that opportunity and the challenge. You know, we, we recognise that, that this is a challenge and that we recognise that over the long term we are going to have to start changing the way we run our production system so that they are more in line with community values so that we can preserve trust as an industry. Um, but in doing that there is really significant opportunity and, and for me the big opportunities are in farm financial performance, number one, and being able to extract that value. Uh, the second big one being animal welfare in general because we know that when animals are of 
higher economic value that um, the the ability to make sure that welfare standards are adhered to across the board is is always easier. Yes. Um, and the third big one being that that image that we project as an industry and being able to say this is how we manage things and it's in line with expectations and it's in line with community values. Without a doubt. And I think um, look, dairy farmers do a great job now, and that's we we we've got so many positives to tell. There's there's absolutely no doubt about that at all. Um, we know these different challenges are there and they're going to keep presenting themselves. Uh, so staying on the front foot there is, is vital. Um, if we can extract value now and feel proud of what we do, then it's an easy sell. So, it, it, and so people are eating a product. Why I just think it's a great mix. They're eating a, a dairy product that has a brand around it that, that's all around welfare and sustainability and everything else that goes with it. The farmers are proud to stand by that. At the same time, they're drinking a glass of milk and they're eating cheese that are all being produced out of this sustainable and welfare-friendly system. So you've got so many food products that can come out of this this one industry, if that makes sense, rather than just being a single fibre or a single food source sort of industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as, as we you know talk about the the challenge to be met in terms of population growth and sustainable yeah. land use, you know the dairy cow is an amazing animal and can produce, as you said, milk, cheese, a few thousand litres of milk every year, but potentially as well a, a dairy beef calf every year. Um, yeah. And being able to extract that value. Um, which, which also leads me to the fact that um, you touched on your presentation on the fact that there's also value to be extracted from the cull cow side of things and that yeah. you know we're producing tonnes of beef every year on a dairy farm. The majority of dairy farms probably aren't MSA uh, certified yeah. um, and that we can be extracting more value there. Yeah, definitely. And so I think the MSA certification will definitely have uh, benefits straight away for people who are selling steers for slaughter. So um, there's several people in the conference today who were saying that they grown out some steers on pasture and they sell them whenever. And we've got, I've got a couple of um, local farmers where I'm from who do exactly the same thing. And they're selling them as a commodity. So they're getting discounted if they just got they got MSA accredited and followed that process, which is, is basically what they're doing anyway. It's about welfare, it's about um, keeping the animals calm, well-fed, all that sort of thing before. So we get as high meat quality as we can. Um, they can get a premium if they sell them to the correct abattoirs then. So we're talking, you know, a dollar plus a kilo in some of these instances between the commodity steer price and not. Um, in terms of the cull cows, when I've looked at it from a beef perspective, we've got a limited number of kilos of beef in, in the country that we can process. So we need to extract value out of every single kilo. A big proportion of what we do is females um, in the beef industry. Obviously in the dairy industry, it's a big proportion is, is dairy cows. Um, and so we're really keen to explore the ideas of reconditioning dairy cows. We did, we did a project at Wagga, um, an MLA funded project uh, looking at reconditioning uh, beef animals, so beef cows, uh, fed them for a few different time periods um, for, for four weeks, six weeks and eight weeks. And the first ones we killed at day zero, they um, they were a commodity product, they were barely, they couldn't be graded and they barely made enough meat to, to go to grinding beef. By eight weeks we had them all graded in MSA and it was a, almost this premium product. We had marble scores of two and three and four and, and you know fat cover and good meat colour, the whole bit. So uh, while dairy cows will be a different animal to that, um, and we've got some different issues with dairy cows um, when, when they're culled out of a herd in terms of age and, and um, pregnancy status and all those sorts of things, um, I think there's some, there's some interesting um, areas to explore there. I don't, I don't know what the outcomes are going to be there, but some very interesting areas to explore to, to then extract value. Yeah, so yeah. effectively what you're saying that instead of uh, looking at a dairy cow that's come to the end of her productive life as an animal that just needs to be removed from the farm production system and, and we're at that point we're a price taker and, and we get what we get in terms of 
what commodity prices are doing at the time, that there's actually an opportunity there to actually take that cow and condition her up to the point where she's going to be, um, you know, produce a premium product at the at the beef stage of the life cycle. Um, and I think there's already some brands or some chefs that are doing some really yeah, interesting yeah, stuff in they? that space, and it's becoming quite trendy. Yeah. Well, you had the you had the image of uh, at, um, Victor Churchill, you know, one of the most trendiest butcher shops in uh, in, in Sydney, and uh, and and a leader in this space. I mean, if people need some evidence around. Uh, products and branding and, and 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 premium products how they extract the premium out with with the whole experience and, and as it's described one of the most beautiful butcher shops in the world um you had the, the image up there uh today of, of some of their jersey beef and um and that's where we can be at so when we start, start talking about extracting premiums out of these animals we're, we're not pretending that we're going to turn a, a holstein cow into this amazing fat angus steer what we're saying is we might be able to recondition her a little bit just so she has a bit higher eating quality, but then we overlay it with a bit of some dry aging and then we, you know, we've seen it overseas where they might cure it in butter or whatever else and we add a story to it and then we add a brand around it and, and that's, that's the experience the consumer's having. Um, now the consumer's the one putting all the money into the supply chain and if they want that and we can provide it to them and they feel comfortable eating that because, geez, they've just supported this whole sustainable dairy industry, haven't they? Yeah. They're eating um, a bit of dairy cow that's been dry aged, they're eating a bit of um, Holstein beef and some other brand of product. They're, they're eating cheese and yogurt and um, milk, butter, a whole bit out of this industry, and then they, they'll feel proud about it. And it's an easy win for us. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that, that's what really gets me excited is that, you know, once we start challenging our long held beliefs and questioning our attitudes to things, because essentially the value that we attribute to something is a completely human construct. It's not yeah, scientific. It? It's based on our assumptions, our values and our attitudes. Um, and that's why I loved uh, what Victor Churchill did with that um, Jersey beef, which was actually a cull Jersey cow, dry aged. That's, at the and end that was just amazing. I love that you can challenge those two really long-held beliefs that uh, beef from Jersey animals is of you know low quality and we can't make any money out of it because yep. they're too small, they don't grow fast enough, there's no yield and you've got yellow fat. Yep. And then at the other end, we've got the most beautiful butcher shop in the world, Victor Churchill in Sydney, putting up a photo <laughs> of um, cuts from a, um, you know an aged Jersey cow with bright yellow fat, talking about yep. how beautiful it is and how great that is. And, and how think, neat is it for him to be doing the education piece? The, the, the advocacy for, for us. I mean, for us as an industry, isn't it? And that's the key. He's a massive influencer, and not just here in Australia, but around the world. Um, and so they're doing that for us. So we and we've just had um, Deanna talk about you know comms and and, and telling our story and, and and trusting the supply chain. And you've got you've got a butcher who everyone trusts because and they spend lots of money uh, over the odds for, on this meat because they trust him and they trust his supply chain yep. yeah so he's doing it for us yep. yeah and those yeah. examples have already been set and um that particular cow i believe actually came from uh jess and cam at camden valley veal who do oh, brilliant really? things um, yeah, yeah. With, with their vealers as well and so i just love seeing um you know equally the the larger vertically integrated companies starting to innovate in this space but also the the smaller producers going you know what there's there's a brilliant story in this yes. and we can do something wonderful with it and with the the luxuries of social media we now have direct marketing and things at our fingertips um and that we can actually start making real inroads in this space and and making the most of the opportunities so yeah, it's exciting absolutely. times it's really exciting times for these guys because everyone in the game can participate in this you don't have to be a huge 
producer to, to extract value out of this. Yeah. In actual fact, some of the smaller guys will probably do it better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank so. you very much for, for your time this afternoon, Michael. It's been a pleasure chatting and yeah, look forward to seeing yeah. the the innovations that come out of this space going forward. Well, yeah, thanks Sarah and have a good rest of the conference. Thanks again to Sarah and Michael for that thought provoking discussion that I'm sure will have many farmers considering their options when it comes to their replacement calf strategy. If you want to find out more about dairy beef, go to dairyaustralia.com.au or feel free to email Sarah directly at sarah.bolton at dairyaustralia.com.au. Well, that's it for this episode. As always, you can find other Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now on Spotify. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>